0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to AI Unleashed Beyond the Code podcast. I'm your host, Grace, and I'm thrilled to have you here with me today. Before we dive into today's topic, I want to encourage you to hit that subscribe button. By subscribing, you'll never miss an episode of our everyday podcast, filled with insightful discussions, fascinating interviews, and so much more. Now, let's get something straight from the start. Today, we won't be talking about AI. Nope, not at all. We're taking a break from the technical jargon and exploring intriguing topics that go beyond the code. So whether you're an AI enthusiast looking for a change of pace or someone curious about the world beyond the digital realm, this podcast is for you. Get ready for captivating conversations, thought-provoking insights, and a whole lot of fun. Alright, let's jump right into today's episode. But first, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can join us every day on this exciting podcast journey. Now, let's get started. 156 spoilers for Scream 6 2023 Scream 6 ends with a brief glimpse of the phone's contact list. Two people named Christy have called Sam's phone. In my video analysis of Scream 2022, I uncovered several Easter eggs that What Christy and the other names on Dewey's contact list imply. This should alert us to start looking for sources once more. Let's check in with all of her contacts now. Tara is Jenna Ortega's sister in the show. However, Meyer is the son of William Sherrack, who produced Scream 6. Eloise comes next. She is William Sherrack's daughter. After that, we have Nike. Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillett directed parts five and six of Scream, who contributed to the portion of the horror anthology VHS, where one one of the protagonist's names is Nike. I did a search, but I can't be sure about River because it's too widespread a word to isolate. Find out that Eileen is actually Tyler Gillett's wife Eileen Jones. Characters Mindy and Chad are identical twins in the film. In this installment of the series, we don't get to see Sydney, the series' main protagonist. Jay edited the movie. Jay Prickedney, with post-production help from T. Ferg. Ferguson, Tyler. Because Rebecca might mean more than one person, I was unable to locate a mini. But that's merely a sample of the depth to which the movie's secrets go. If you're interested in learning where each and every item in scream came from. Movie Theater Memorial, Subway Costume References, and If you're looking for information that's buried in a long video, watch till the end. Factor is the video's sponsor. Intro Heavy Music You've reached things you missed. After Scream 2022 successfully brought the series back from the dead, the next installment. Similarly to how quickly the original film was made, the sequel would be out in the From the 1996 original Scream through the 1997 sequel. That was the first of several red flags that Scream 6 wasn't up to snuff. Similar to how the last film was a callback to the first Scream, Scream 2 is a direct sequel. The naming scheme was altered for the third film in a row. The name implies. It was neat how the fourth film hid the number within the word Scream. My use of the term Scree 4 M is universally well-received. No one finds it annoying, and no one complains about it. If it had chosen Five Cream, the fifth would have been correct. Scream, in keeping with the zeitgeist of memories recalled. Like October 31st and The Candyman. I suppose Scream 6 wanted to have the best of both worlds by. Stands alone as a title, yet the M on the poster includes a number. Therefore, they had to start using Roman numerals instead. It makes me think of the Jack games. Jack and Daxter, the Precursor Legacy was the first game in the series. After then, Jack 2 uses Roman numerals. Jack 3 was written with Arabic numerals, but Jack 4 was given the name Jack's X. However, it was merely the letter X, not the Roman number X. Anyway, I'm digressing it's time to jump right into the moments you missed. Sounds of foreboding. Parallels to the second scream. The first comparison I'm going to make is to another film. Number 2 Scream. Although the characters do mention this. Dash, Sam, Stab 2 was set on a university campus. Dash, Tara, do we suppose the murderer is attempting to mimic film? It's more complex than you probably realize. One of the five ghostface killers in this story, which also features a university. In the beginning of the film, we learn that Jason is a serial killer. One learning about the slasher films of the 20th century in school. Mickey, like Screen 2's murderer, is introduced in the collegiate movie. Students talk about the film Stab. In both films, the protagonist must adjust to stardom. Having avoided death a year prior to the crime. They are both assigned extra security when a new crime wave breaks out. They've both got new, suspicious but innocent boyfriends. Tara is seen again while she is leaving for a party. She attended the Omega Kappa Beta Party, Tara. Derek's fraternity from Scream 2 is the same one here. Their coat of arms, which Derek wears on a necklace, is briefly displayed. Provided Sydney with. At the celebration, Tara mentioned that she is thinking about joining the Omega Beta Zeta sorority. Dash, frat dude, you're an O, B, Z. Tara, no, not just yet. That's the same one C.C. Cooper used, right? Participated in back in 1997. When discussing C.C. Cooper, after being stabbed and tossed off a cliff, she meets an untimely end in the film. The roof of that frat house. Anika. Her equivalent in Scream 6 is also murdered in that film. The rung of the escape ladder she's climbing. Having a massive ladder lying about Danny's New York City apartment seems unnecessary. Maybe he got the idea from watching Nerve. The core four, as Tara goes on to elaborate, relocated to New York City for the summer term. Comparable to Sydney and Randy's mid-year relocation to Ohio from. To get away from the stresses of life in Woodsboro. The filming location for Scream 2 was a university in Atlanta, even though it was set in Ohio. Scream 6 includes multiple references to Atlanta. It was at this middle school when Jason and Greg had their first encounter. Kirby is an employee at the Atlanta field office of the FBI. The link could be coincidental or planned. Kirby, by the way, Is scarred by a Scree 4M wound inflicted by Charlie. At the end of Scream 6, she is stabbed there again, but this time she survives. Scream 2's Dewey used the same tactic to stay alive. The majority of the scar tissue was cut through, paramedic. Helped to keep him alive. Gail Weathers seems to experience the same problem. The new ghost face appeared on her shoulder when she took a bullet there in Scree 4M. Round six, and this time she escapes with her life. Gale Weathers arrives after Sam and Tara have survived the initial attack. Investigating, and, as is customary in this franchise, taking a punch to the face. To be perpetuated by the victim. It's the identical expression of surprise on the cameraman's face. As Scream 2's cameraman Joel's expression shows. That's right, I caught it on camera. Sam's dissatisfaction with Gail's performance led him to punch her. In Gail's newest publication. Sam, you've dubbed me crazy and a natural murderer. Gail, that's completely misinterpreted. That is an exact quote, Sam. Which is similar to how Dewey felt about how he was written about in the Woodsboro murders. Like the rest of us, he gives her real references. Page 41 of, Dewey. As I've already indicated, Anika is the first major character to die. Outfitted in Randy's original green ghostface jacket. A helpless second film victim. Another mention of Randy occurs while they go around the park. Keeping ghostface on the line is a priority. Mindy also notes this parallel. That's exactly how our uncle Randy passed away, Mindy. However, Gail, who is safe at home, is the one in jeopardy while on the phone with the murderer. She ends the conversation and then makes a second attempt to contact him. There's another scream to illusion here. Maureen, asterisk 69 his and hang up the phone. Damn. Each film's climax follows. Location, like a theater, where everything is seen. Sam uses a brick to defend herself at one point, a nod to the Sydney's strategy for defeating Billy's mom was crushing her with a brick mound. Finally, Quinn admits that she is the killer. Dash, Quinn, hey, guys. That caught you off guard, didn't it? True, I did. It wasn't a major shock because Billy and Roman had already attempted to fake their deaths. What's more, her line is virtually word-for-word Mickey's after Billy's mother was finally revealed. Nice turn of phrase, huh? Roman. I bet you didn't see that one coming. Ghostface, the original film's adversary, was also the main antagonist of Scream 2. Previous film, searching for justice for their murdered son. The confederate, or confederates, in this scenario, are students at the college or university, with one ghostface paying for the other's studies. Cotton, who Sydney had mistaken for a serial killer, comes to her rescue in Scream 2. To have committed the crime. Sam and Tara are rescued by Kirby, the man they had previously wronged, in episode 6. In the end, it's revealed that Chad is still alive and well. Assisted by Tara, sprinting beside the stretcher bearing the patient. It's like the final scene between Dewey and Gale in Scream 2. However, there would be even more references to Scream 2 among moviegoers. Together with a great deal of additional information that has been kept under wraps. Thunder. Factor. Are you determined to improve your diet and lifestyle this season? Do you intend to quote every teen film released in the 2000s? Things are about to change this summer. Our whole world is about to shift this summer. If you want to simplify calorie counting without sacrificing taste, try these. On Preferences, Read Factor The dietician recommended low calories. The average calorie count of healthy, well-balanced meals is 550. Indulge in your favorite foods while yet maintaining your health aims. Here's a little something to help you plan your monthly spending for the rest of the year by reducing takeout consumption. In its place, why not try Factor? While both Factor and the other. Meals are cheaper than takeout and can be cooked in less time by their chef. Two-minute restaurant delivery is possible. Yes, you're absolutely right. Your gourmet supper can be ready in less time than it takes to pick out a movie. Able to be consumed immediately. You may already know that I have experience working with HelloFresh, the company that owns Factor. One who appreciates both canons equally. For cost cutting purposes, I use HelloFresh. And I use Factor when I need to do something quickly. Viewers of CZS World are eligible for a price reduction on both brands. Are you prepared to make the right call this summer? Avail yourself of the in text statement or visit factor75.com and enter code CZ50 to receive 50% off your. A new factoring box. Here's a discount code for an additional 50% off the already low prices at Factor 75, CZ50. There will be changes this summer. Predicting the final chapter. Strange sounds. A major draw of the Scream movies and other murder mysteries is trying to figure out who done it. Going back to examine the hints provided now that we know how the story ends. Tara and Quinn have a conversation in Quinn's apartment, and Quinn tells Tara about the time her father overprotective in the wake of her brother's death. Add that to the statement made by Detective Bailey after Quinn's death. Detective Bailey, my entire family has vanished, including my two children. And now we have two very precise allusions to this unidentified sibling who apparently died. To be perfectly honest, the movie could have benefited from a few red herrings. Since it was clear this sibling had great importance. When you consider that Richie Kirsch's number was the initial caller for Ghostface phone, things start to make sense. Richie and Amber both adopted this strategy. After receiving a call on Amber's phone, no one doubted for a second that the murderer had cloned Amber's number. Rather than using a fake phone, they should've just used Amber's genuine one. After Richie's death, the detective probably recovered the phone. Utilized it. The movie's use of a red herring in one crucial scene was. Place, closet. At this point, followers are aware that every ghostface murderer carries. Wear a light blue flannel or shirt. Specifically, Ethan. And while I had my doubts about Tara and Sam, Danny is now in the spotlight, putting on a light blue shirt, which we watch him do. Sam and Tara are attacked by a person in a ghostface mask as they walk to their apartment. In the very same apartment where they were staying with Quinn and Ethan a few days before. Later, following Quinn's faked death, her father emerges from the constructing with a little limp, as if one were still recovering from an injury. Samantha manages to knock him down cold. While saying this, he looks directly at Samantha. If you mess with my family, you're dead, Detective Bailey. Also, when the inevitable phone call finally comes for Gail. It originates in the 707 Area Code, which covers much of Northern California. Where Woodsboro can be found. Richie's family believes the murderer is local, and this is another evidence. Likely to be or imply. An alarming clue exists that has nothing to do with who the protagonist is. Watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers is a regular occurrence for Sam's psychiatrist, which informs him exactly what he needs to know before he becomes Ghostface's next victim. Horror Film Illusions One of the many references to other horror films that pop up in every Scream movie. Each Scream film includes a psycho illusion, with the latest one consisting of a psycho movie poster that's why this poster is so appropriate at jason's place another alfred hitchcock masterpiece vertigo is represented on his wall this time not just the original psycho is referred to but also psycho 2 dash kirby and mindy psycho 2 is a hidden gem one of the victims in psycho 2 is stabbed in the mouth as well in the end Tara does exactly that to Ethan. However, returning to Jason, we learn that he is both a film student and a fan of the horror genre. Numerous allusions and connections are made to him. The initial sequence's murder of his professor was motivated by his feelings for her. Graded his giallo assignment as a C+. Giallo, or Italian murder mysteries, are like Scream but on a different level. What Jason's shirt reads in Italian translates to, Formosce on Velluto Grigio. On the gray velvet, there are four flies. Dario Argento helms this giallo flick about a murderous rock star. Turns into a suspect in a murder investigation. A magnet advertising Ice Nine Kills can also be found on Jason's refrigerator. Metal band Ice Nine Kills is well known for writing songs with macabre film themes. Their 2018 release, The Silver Scream, features a number of related visual elements. Music videos featuring a central plot involving multiple deaths. To lead singer Spencer Charnas of the band. The parallels to Four Flies on the Gray Velvet are striking. Even more so, Ice Nine Kills. A special edition of The Silver Scream with an extra song. The movie Scream. In addition, the fact that Jason comes home, puts on a Friday the 13th film. Jason Voorhees is portrayed by Jason Carvey, and his full name is Jason Carvey. From the Friday the 13th film series, he enjoys dismembering his victims. However, this is not your typical Friday the 13th film. This is Friday the 13th, Chapter 8, Jason Takes New York. The one in which he visits the Big Apple similar to how New York serves as the backdrop for Scream 6. Not just Jason, but another new character also seems to be a devotee of the horror genre. Sam's psychiatrist's waiting room is stocked with merchandise. Several scary dolls, such as Gomez, Pugsley, and the others, are displayed on the desk. And Leatherface and Fester Adams, too. There are two dolls, one named Leatherface and the other named Ghostface, Hanging above the fireplace. Two events are promoted on the marquee of the shuttered movie theater. The words Jennifer Jolie retrospective can be seen on the left. The role of Gail Weathers in Stab 3 was played by Jennifer Jolie. The words Rocky Horror Picture Show may be seen off to the right. Dressed Up Easter Eggs Only. A Rocky Horror Picture Show fan was spotted on the metro dressed as Frankenfurter. So let's move on to the costumes in the next part. It's something I've always found annoying in films set in the area. On Halloween, everyone dresses up as a standard monster or a vampire. People in real life often dress up as something, pirate, nurse, etc. As a specific item, frequently associated with modern culture. Finally, Scream got it right, and I couldn't be happier. Also, Some of the costumes are symbolic in some way. In the same vein as the Omega Kappa Beta Party. Whereby a young woman is costumed like Wednesday Addams from the television show The Addams Family. Jenna Ortega, who has played this role since Scream 2022 was released. Wednesday is a popular character in an adaption. Is there a connection between this and the Recycle Wednesday flyer she has posted on her fridge? Most likely not. Someone wearing a ghostface mask with vertical stripes is also there. The Office's Dwight Schrute. One of the crowd members is a young lady sporting a number 10 jersey, an obvious nod to Tatum's top from the original Scream, which alludes to. In the film, Glenn Lance wore this. We also have Mindy Meeks, who is not unlike Harry Potter or Alan from The Hangover. Wears a costume of lesbian actress Storm DeLarvery in the 1960s and 1970s. That's her main shtick in this flick. She makes no secret of the fact that she is a lesbian. In the subway scene, there are even more disguises. To begin, let's look at Grace from the upcoming 2019 film Ready or Not, which is directed by Tyler Gillett and Matt Open. There's a David Bowie and a Michael Myers, just as in the movie from the Halloween series, a fact that is noteworthy due of the Scream franchises. Franchise parodies, the Halloween film series. People are chanting evil dies tonight as they approach the railway station. Dash, Jason, not as terrifying of a serial killer film. Which, to paraphrase the Halloween theme song, puts an end to the sequel to the requel. Scream 6 is a requel to a requel, just like this. There is a cameo by Lady Liberty. That's logical. We are in New York. Mojo Jojo is the Powerpuff Girls' archenemy. It's great to see Scream remaining true to its 1990s beginnings. This person isn't actually dressed up, but he is wearing a Fangoria shirt. As in, Fangoria, the renowned horror magazine. Tara mentioned that there was a person on the train dressed as the Babadook. Scream 5 is her all-time favorite horror film. What's your favorite scary flick, Ghostface? The Babadook, Tara. In addition to Ghostface, there are several other slasher movie stars on the train. As in the case of Pinhead from the Hellraiser films, Jason from the Friday the 13th films, and horror film antagonist, Freddy Krueger. Obviously, Freddy had previously appeared in other Scream films. Additionally, there's a someone donning a child's play-era Chucky costume. Cited as a remake horror film in the film Scream 2022. The level of horror is raised in that scene as well. What's wrong with highbrow terror, Amber? Honestly, Jordan Peele sucks. As a result, you can see upgraded horror-era outfits, including In Jordan Peele's United States, Pluto and a few of the other tethered individuals depicted in the film. There's also a girl decked out as Danny Arder, better known as Midsummer's May Queen. Immediately after that, we get a brief cameo appearance by Tyler Gillett. Before we get to some Stephen King allusions, the co-director. Characters like the Grady brothers and Georgie Denbroff from The Shining. From Computer Systems. The birds Melanie Daniels and the titular bird are also included into other horror references. Wes Craven's Shocker's Horace Pinker, The Grudge's Kayako Siki, and as well as Saw's Billy the Puppet, who was mentioned in Scree 4M. Trudy, have you decided on a film? Sherry, okay, I think we should see Saw 4. Aside from Tyler Durden, it appears like there are additional references to popular culture on board. From Fight Club, I had to look up hand wraps on Google because I had no idea what they were. A choker, and it turns out that dress was really an Oscars leftover from actress Julia Fox from the film Uncut Gems. The train scene is missing one essential element. They're hoping to go to the theater from the Upper West Side without getting mugged. Why don't they join the rest of the partying costume? Dress up to hide from Ghostface? There are a lot of secret references in the clothes. I'm sure there are some I missed, so please tell me if you spot any. Read about in the feedback. There are more secrets, though, in the form of subtle nods to Wes Craven. Warn of hidden Easter eggs and other details. Thunder. Strange sounds. Disaster in store for the Scream timeline. In case you're a subscriber. You know how much I care that movies stick to their stated timeline. The horror history series I'm working on is half-character study and I'm the first to admit that the previous two have been the most exciting in terms of timeline construction. The timeline has been messed up because to slasher flicks. Reporter claims at the end of Scream 5 that the original Almost to the day, 25 years have passed since the Woodsboro massacre. If we extrapolate forward from the 1996 setting of the original, we arrive in the year 2021. Despite this, Sam and Mindy insist that the most recent installment of Stab was released only last year. And it's obvious that the year was 2021, this must be the sixth Scream. In fact, taking place in the year 2022, as suggested by Scream 6. Subreddit Woodsboro Truther discusses current developments in. Kirby's timeline of events labels the massacre in Woodsboro as happening in 2022. Richie and Amber died in 2022, according to historical accounts. However, this board also incorrectly states that Roman passed away in the year 2000. Roman passed away in 1999 in the Scream 3 timeline. The designers likely only look at when movies are set to be released. Instead of when they are supposed to happen, However, Kirby does indicate that Richie and Amber passed away a year ago. It seems safe to assume that Scream 5 will take place around 2022. Correct, 2023 will be the year of Scream 6. So, from the outset, when we see the film Professor's Phone, it's Saturday, October 29th, the movie, so that would be in 2022. This is supported by further phone screen data. Sam's license is about to expire in two days, but you can still drive with it. You can try to talk her out of renewing it by pointing out that you won't need a vehicle in Big Apple, New York. The metro system will be down until September of 2022, according to the map. If it's been over a year, why is it still there? However, there is also the Sam is plainly identified by the newscaster in Scream 6 as Dash, reporter, I am a survivor of the 2022 massacre at Woodsboro. More proof that Scream 2022 actually happens, in my opinion. To 2022, with Scream 6 happening 13 months later in 2023. This forum also serves as official confirmation that the Scream television series is non canon. Completely, which is okay by me. Please, if you know anyone who works on these movies, pass along my. Why don't you just give them my channel so they'll quit botching their own brand? Whenever I air, I try to find an excuse for it by saying anything. Basically, this persona was just making an educated guess about when the story took place. I have a lot of reasons to absolve you of blame. In praise of Wes Craven. Kirby, Roman Bridger was the lone ghostface without a significant other. Dash, Kirby, I applaud his drive and determination. That may be debated. This is a highly disputed topic. For more information, watch the episode of my show Scream Three Things You Missed, but not Till. After you've finished watching Scream 6 and noticed all the inside jokes about Wes Craven. Obviously, Wes Craven was a famous horror director who gave us. From Last House on the Left to the Hills Have Eyes and Beyond. The Elm Street Nightmare. Also, the initial four scream movies. At Jason's Place A parody of The Leftovers podcast, he puts a poster up for Last Podcast on the left. The Home on the Farthest Left Shot in 1972, the film's establishing images at the The film opens on West 72nd Street. All of Upper Manhattan's streets appear to be aligned due east-west. Wes Craven Film Release Schedules At the intersection of 94th and 93rd Streets, where Brand New Nightmare and Body Bags, both Gail's apartment sits on the border of the 96th and 97th Streets. Both Scream, 1996, and Scream 2, 1997, were released. A comment made on a thread in the Woodsboro Truther Forum is attributed to a user named 234mimimimi23 for a brief time, Wes Craven was married to Mimi Craven. The 1980s. She was in both that film and Swamp Thing. Elmcourt is the name of the complex where Jason and Greg live. The site of Sam's driver's license is straight out of a horror film. She may be reached at 2419, Solar Drive, Modesto, California. This is not a Modesto address, however. It used to belong to Wes Craven and is located in the L.A. area. One of the most out-there examples follows. The convenience store's facade is shown at the scene's conclusion. And the name of the store is Abe's Snake Bodega. When I'm filming and I hear a brand name that I'm not familiar with, I put it in quotes. Identify, I always check to see if there is any meaning to it. Then I followed your advice and did the same thing. This article on Slashfilm has some interesting tidbits of information, which I discovered. One of Craven's close friends became involved in the production of adult flicks of the 1970s, and he wanted to give it a shot himself. Before he directed The Hills Have Eyes in 1977, Craven made The Fireworks Lady, or Angela the Fireworks Lady, is a woman who sells fireworks. A fantastic alias, Abe Snake. And just like Angela, Scream 6 is jam-packed with explosions. Horror business insider knowledge. Discreet allusions to the other films in the Scream series, Easter Eggs. Close inspection of the Woodsboro Truther subreddit, which, by the way, root, the website address is our slash Woodsboro Truther. I doubt that is how URLs are supposed to function, but you might. On January 14, 2022, the submarine was birthed. Another chronology inconsistency, albeit this one seems more justified. Hidden message in an egg for Easter. Scream 2022 officially opens in theaters on that date. Despite the fact that the premiere was scrapped. Yet another commercial Reddit thread. Section 261 of Turner Lane. This is a story, but it's a story with a new twist. Because 261, Turner Lane is the setting for the events of the previous film. Where Stu Macker and his family used to live before they were forced to move. Amber Freeman and her family's gracious hosts. Amber, I am currently at the Turner Lane residence of Stu Macker. Number 261. Amber. Amber Turner Lane. Some of the characters, although having left Woodsboro, continue to a sense of pride in their hometown. Mindy sports a panther patch, and Chad still has his letterman blazer. Woodsboro High School's mascot is she. The repetition of previously established plot points is a defining feature of any requel. Scenes, and Scream 6 is no exception to that rule. After leaving the Seven Eleven, Sam and Tara go to the police station. Run into the detectives, who tell them they can't leave town and they have to stay. In the final chapter of Scream, Dewey and Judy have to break the same news to Sydney. They leave, and the media swoop in like they did in Sydney. Around them, exactly like they did in 1996 outside of the office of Sydney Prescott. Police precinct in Woodsboro. And the tunes are the same too. At some point, Kirby, now a member of the FBI, turns in, and she and Mindy take a polygraph. Each other on their knowledge of scary movies. Kirby, what's your favorite Elm Street nightmare? Asterisk, both, the first version. As seen in the first scream, Casey Becker shares this taste. Yeah, Freddy Krueger, Casey chimes in. Freddy, dash, ghostface. Yes, you're absolutely right. Dash, ghostface, that's a great flick. It was eerie, Dash, Ghostface, admits. Wow. Dash, Casey. Only the first one was good, the rest were all duds. If you will, common sense. Next, we have Gail. In the scene where she emphasizes the value of family to Sam. In the background, we can hear Dewey's tune, which implies that Gail was constantly working. Affection for him. Another clue is that she also possesses the identical picture of herself and Dewey that we do. Initially witnessed in Dewey's trailer, episode 5. After being ambushed by Quinn, she almost decided to join him. At one point she shoots through the door with two pistols and says, That's some serious nostalgia right there, huh, Gail? In the original, she played the hero by shooting Billy Loomis. The movie itself, not simply the lines of speech, evoked warm feelings of nostalgia. The theatrical shrine contains extensive historical context that franchise, thunder, synthesized sounds, delivering a cliché. Sam breaks away from the group moments before entering the theater for the climactic battle. Her new boyfriend Danny, for her own protection. Sam, we don't recognize you. Actually, no. She says this in a tone that is strikingly similar to that of her ex-boyfriend. Richie discussed the Stab series. There hasn't been a good Stab film since the original, and you're right, Richie. Contrary to that, Richie. There will be a lot of recycled dialogue from here on out. And I've always wanted to stick something in you, Tara, Ethan, says. Dash, Stu, I've always been attracted to you, Sid. The movie theater shrine is a veritable treasure trove of what you missed. Every last feature of the cinematic temple. Jigsaw artist Eleanor's workspace. I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of the Scream series. Tatum Riley wore this to her final dinner. You're looking at Stu Macker's party row. The shirt Billy Loomis wore that night is included. Kenny owns the black jacket and the cap on its back. The camera operator for Gail Weathers's show, Top Story. When you look at the back of his Top Story jacket, it becomes more clear. Casey's boyfriend and series protagonist Stephen Orth is portrayed here by this statue. First murder in a film. Here is the ghost face mask that was taken from the student by Principal Henry. Jokers and hazers at the institution in question. And he did it with these scissors. Two of your classmates were brutally murdered, Principal Henry. And this, Principal Henry, is how you express your empathy and understanding. Principal Henry, allow me to demonstrate. You're both out of here, Principal Henry says. Please leave. I'm curious if they just showed up the next day to class. Henry certainly did not have time to inform anyone of their expulsion. The mask has a rope that Henry swung from atop it and a drawing of. The football fields he played on and the obituaries he was mentioned in. Randy owns a video rental shop, and this is an official Bradley Video Store staff tee. In the first film, they were working at. To the best of our knowledge, no one was killed at this scene, thus I'm not sure why this is here. Location of the Video Store However, it's still plausible that the sequence existed in the film version. By use of a stab. The Woodsboro High School flag concludes the initial film. The sequel begins with the premiere of the film Stab, and there is a great deal of souvenirs of that event. The costumes, masks, and plastic blades that were distributed to the crowd are on display. Audience members, plus a select few VIPs, who saw the debut performance. Cinema admissions. The enormous ghostface head that served as set dressing can be seen off to the side. Scream 3's office setting. Sydney appears at several moments in the Scream 2 play in this sketch. A library and a government issued automobile. Put it on top of a Windsor College sweatshirt. Scream 2's location. I have faith in the camera Chad uses and. During his performance with Up to Date, Joel's camera gets thrown at Ghostface. Derek's favorite part of the theater is this massive prop that runs along the side of the stage. At the conclusion of Scream 2, was bound to. The Agamemnon mask he wore can be glimpsed at one time, while he was being hoisted onto the stage. Another mask from the same play may be found right here. Debbie Salt, Nancy Loomis, and others can be seen wearing a white blazer in this scene was carrying throughout the climactic scene, and I'm very sure she utilized this gun. In that moment. The making of Scream 3 is the story of the third film in the Stab series. Scared shitless by a fresh danger. The filming slate for Stab 3 can be seen above the script. But there's a hidden joke in the credits. Brett Jutkiewicz is credited as the film's cinematographer. Scream 2022 and Scream 6 as cinematographer. I came across a drawing of Sarah Darling, the first victim in Scream 3, and the woman who portrayed Gail, Jennifer Jolie. The murderer's voice-altering device and weapon are also on display. In Scream 3, there was a unique voice changer that let players impersonate. Anybody's talking. It's ironic that we only just now managed to unlock that technology. Politicians are now fighting over video games because of it. The phone, the pan, and the lighter all seem to have melted in this instance. The murderer used a frying pan to disarm the guards. Safety Officer Stephen Stone When Gail attacks Quinn with a frying pan, it's not the first time this has happened in a movie. I'm curious if that piece will end up in a museum. This is the phone that detonated at Jennifer Jolie's residence it was definitely Tom Prince's lighter that started it all. In charge of setting off that bomb. A large banner reading Happy Birthday, Roman was hung up above the party. As Sidney arrived at the front door of John Milton's manor. Roman's birthday was anything but joyous. Scree 4M. There had already been other stab movies before this one. These flyers for stabs 3, 4, and 5 are all in Scree 4M. But this one is not. This initial appearance of the Stab 4 poster or the a clear view of the Stab 4B poster. The two murderers, Charlie and Jill, are portrayed in sketches and so are the victims. Charlie's shirt and Jill's flannel from the night he passed away. Ahead of having to change into a hospital gown and being rushed to the emergency room. Kirby looks at it with tears in her eyes at one point recalling how her closest confidant had betrayed her and plotted her murder. The weapon Charlie used to stab her is on display, as is the bloody scene. Kirby's scent left behind on the patio. The clothing Trevor, Jill's ex-boyfriend, was wearing when he passed away is displayed here. The clothing worn by Neil Prescott in Scream 1, which is also a possibility. Seems identical. However, since Neil did not perish, He probably kept his wardrobe. They shouldn't have been taken into custody, in my opinion. The trickiest to categorize was this one. Since no one else seemed to recognize it, my first assumption was that it was meant for Casey Becker. Another person who was wearing a white long sleeve shirt at the time of their death. No, she wasn't even wearing shorts, and the colors don't go together. It probably isn't Jill, but rather Olivia Morris, one of her neighbors who was captured in an arresting photo sporting a grey long-sleeve shirt and plaid shorts. This is not an exact match, but it is as close as I can get. A Woodsboro police uniform is also present, indicating that this item belonged to Deputy Haas or Deputy Perkins, the two law enforcement officers killed while on the job. While sitting in Jill's driveway. A Stabathon t-shirt has also been produced. The film club of Woodsboro High School presented a movie marathon known as Stabathon. Site of near butchery of Gail Weathers. There is also a case stuffed with Gail's novels, most of which are similar to what happened in Scream 3 and Scream 4, with one key difference. Stabbed in the Back, a novel by Gail Weathers is the only book by her that we haven't read. The True History of Sunrise. Interestingly enough, This was taken directly from a Scream 3 advertising website. I hate mornings. An anonymous smear site provided damaging information about the filming. Sunrise Studios, the studio behind the Stab movies. In my episode on the history of horror, I go into great detail regarding this IP Stab. Just so you know, Gail has a brand new copy of a book named This must be the book she wrote about the Woodsboro Horror. The Woodsboro Massacre, 2022, or whenever it happened. Richie Kirsch owned all of these things from the theater shrine. Notwithstanding his assertion that the original Stab film is the only worthwhile one. Given that he passes away before the end of Scream 2022, we shouldn't expect two. Related to that film. But I did take note of the Stab Blu-ray collection that was issued recently. Somewhere in the middle of Screams 4 and 5. The past is prologue. There's always something new to look forward to with a sequel, and characters who carry on the legacy of previous ones. In Scream, Sam Carpenter assumes the role of Sidney Prescott, becoming Ghostface, and fights back against Detective Bailey. Conclusion of the film The Ghostface mask is identical to the one Sidney wore when he fought back. About 27 years ago, Billy Loomis. The same thing happens to Bailey, he gets the wrong end of a ghost face, just like Billy did. Noise made by his prey. Good day, Detective Bailey. Dash, Sam. Are you home by yourself, Sam? Even though Bailey has a very 1996 ending, Ethan shows up in the very last frame. Stu Macker's TV falls on him for one final scare, and he dies under its weight. Scream 6, deciphering its meaning. If there's a message this time, what is it? I don't get the point of this movie. The film is not drastically different from its predecessor. This is the second article in a row to criticize harmful online discourse. Culture. This time, however, the topic is not toxic fandom but rather the cultural issue of people on reddit who play sleuth on their own rarely succeed in solving the case in a worsening of the situation if you're interested in learning more a great video explaining the concept can be found at wavywebsurf sam is constantly harassed by rumors that she was really the murderer in woodsboro just like the guy who calls her that female psychopath this guy could pass for a real reddit user A second girl who recognizes her calls her a killer while dumping a can of Diet Cherry Coke on her head. If you thought she was a whore, why would you throw a drink at her? Murderer? You should not act like that. Her doctor, of all people, begins to feel uneasy around her. You undoubtedly wanted to check the names in the credits like I did. Files in the psychiatrist's office for hidden messages. There appears to be no particular significance to these patient names. Mars-Jupiter is an odd couple for sure. One of the film's biggest surprises is that none of the primary. The characters all perished. There for a second, Chad seemed doomed, but he managed to pull through. Eventually limps out on the stretcher. However, when Tara removes his oxygen mask for a passionate kiss. I wish he would have passed out then and there. It would have been hilarious if that happened. On watch more of my videos analyzing the Scream series, select an entry from the playlist on the left. And if you're interested in catching up on any of the upcoming Scream 7, then make sure to sign up with CZS World to receive updates on the latest terrors on a weekly basis. Send all messages via the death bell, and I'll see you in the next one. If we make it through this, great. Now let's jump into The Conjuring, The History of Valak. To find the origin of Valak, the most feared demon in the controverse lore to date, we must look to the legends passed down in one small town in Romania. The tales tell of a duke in the Dark Ages, which puts us somewhere between 500 and 1000. C.E. He built a great castle, which would later be known as the Abbey of Stay, Carta. Hidden in the dungeons was a summoning ground, carved with the serpentine symbol of a mythical being known as Valak. The people in the town feared the Duke, because he wrote countless texts on witchcraft and rituals to call upon these evil forces of hell. He would eventually use these spells to open the gateway between our world and the underworld. By sacrificing five people as a part of his spell, the Duke would allow Valak to come through, and walk amongst the living. But as Valak rose through the crevices, the church, who had caught wind of the foul things happening there, stormed the castle and interrupted the liturgy. They attempted to seal the gateway using liquid from the Holy Grail, and while this appeared, to cause the portal to close back up, this seal would not last forever. To learn the secrets of Valak's past, the entity's true purpose, what it represents. For the story and the character's future, stick around to the end of this video. Intro Welcome to Horror History. My name is Professor CZS World, and you better pay attention this time you little piece of SH. In today's lesson we're going over what I consider to be the main boss of The Conjuring. Franchise Like its counterpart Malthus, from the Annabelle spinoffs, Valek is based on a mythological Deity from the Lesser Key of Solomon, a series of grimoires on demonology. It's divided into five books, one of which is called Ars Goetia, a textbook guide to conjuring demons. In Annabel, Ars Goetia was replaced with this textbook called The Devil's Welcome. But to learn about Valak, we need to turn the clock back even further and look into the pages of these mysterious texts found in a tomb just outside the Abbey of Stay. Carta. Legends from the Duke of Stay. Carta. When the ancient books are discovered, we can see the outer cover of three of them. Two of them have piercing, yellow, serpentine eyes, much like the eyes of Valak and anyone. Else the demon takes control of. This suggests that these books, unlike The Devil's Welcome, may specifically be about Valak. The snake eating its own tail symbol is commonly associated with Valak in the movie, but I'll come back to that shortly. In Ars Goetia, there are 72 demons said to have been commanded by the Israeli King Solomon. They range from kings, dukes, princes, marquises, knights, presidents, and earls. Valak is considered a president of hell. In the mythology, Valak looks a lot different than it does in the conjuring movies, but There are some references to the mythological version that you may not have noticed in the movies. On one page of the book, there is a boy-like form with a snake coming out of its mouth. This is likely a reference to how Valak is depicted in the Lesser Key of Solomon, as an angelically winged boy riding on a two-headed dragon. In the movies, Valak is a shapeshifter, whose form seems to change based on what makes its victim's most uncomfortable. There's also this image. Valak is commonly associated with a snake. Serpent symbols can be found throughout the monastery and there are multiple occasions where the demon is introduced as Valak, the Defiler, the Profane, the Marquis of Snakes. The bird is probably there to represent Malphas, an Earl of Hell in mythology who you may know as the demon that is connected to the Annabelle doll. I did an entire video on the history of Malthus if you're interested. That would leave the question of who these other two-horned demons are, perhaps other villains that we'll meet in future Conjuring movies. On another page, you'll see a more familiar sight, the nun form of Valak, which seems to be its favorite form to use, but there may be a reason that we see the nun form so often. On the side, you'll notice another picture of a snake eating its own tail. This is known as an Ouroboros, a mark seen in many ancient cultures as a symbol for the cycle of life, death, and rebirth. We don't exactly know what Valak's endgame is, but we know it has a strong desire to possess, as explained in The Conjuring 2. Perhaps by possessing someone and moving into a new body, Valak feels a sense of new life. And the Urabaros is a sign of the tendency to go from body to body, creating a cycle of new demonic possessions. The text written in the book isn't legible, but Father Burke does read some of it aloud. And I am going to roll it. So roll it. Father Burke. And out of the ground formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Valak. This passage is part of the biblical text of Genesis 2.19, 19, so I looked up the meaning of that passage and found the following. The act of naming something is meaningful in the book of Genesis. This act often implies rule over and responsibility for that thing. This may explain why Lorraine is eventually able to defeat Valak, but will get there when we get there. Now you may be thinking, This Valak guy sounds like kind of a bad dude, going around possessing people and crap, who would actually want to summon Valak. If we go back to the mythological readings of Ars Goetia, it describes the benefits of calling upon this malevolent force. He perfectly locates hidden treasure and finds where serpents may be hiding, which he delivers into the hands of the conjurer. Valak is void of any force or strength, but has dominion over thirty legions of devils. If this holds true to the Conjuring version of Valak, it explains why the Duke of Ste Carta built this fortress and tried so hard to summon Valak there, he was driven by the allure of power and riches. The book also associates a sigil, or a symbol considered to have magical power, to each of the seventy-two demons. If you've seen Hereditary, you may recognize the necklace as an example of this. They don't lean too hard on this in The Conjuring, but I did notice that the summoning ground inside the abbey almost seems to resemble the sigil of Valak. But upon closer inspection, the outer ring is formed by a double barrows. This image can also be seen in one of the other books, next to a more traditional demonic form resembling a gargoyle. I've always assumed that this is Valak's true form, because it's also seen labeled as Valak on another page, and it seems to be the form used when Valak enters and eventually exits our world. World War II, the seal is broken. That brings me back to the summoning ritual, which, as I mentioned, was thwarted by the church. They took over the castle and converted it into the abbey. The place was fully surrounded by crosses to keep the evil contained, and nuns prayed. They're continuously, working in shifts so that the place was constantly being blessed. Earlier I called Valak the main boss of the Conjuring franchise, and this is why. Malthus, from the Annabelle movies, is considered one of the most powerful supernatural entities. But in order to keep it contained, the Warrens have a priest come twice a month to bless. The Room To keep valak contained, however, several nuns have to work together, 24-7, and even. This is only enough to hold the demon off for so long. One of them describes the bombs of war shaking the abbey and once again cracking open the gateway. I'm guessing that this was during World War II, and Romania was subject to air raids. During that war, Romania was hit with air raids in 1943 and 1944, less than a decade before the main events of the nun which takes place in 1952 but ever since those bombs dropped an unidentified nun began stalking the corridors of the abbey at night but this nun was anything but holy hunting the nuns as perhaps the most powerful entity in the world of the conjuring with the ability to take on any form why does valak so often choose to become a simple nun Why not a creepy clown, a mummy, or Coraline's mom? The answer lies in its setting. It's something unholy. It takes on different forms to deceive us and prey on our weaknesses. Valak uses the nun form to blend in with the order, and eventually purge or corrupt each of them. This could be the reason that the nuns are generally never supposed to leave the abbey. So that they cannot be a vessel for Valek's escape. It was likely just after Valak was released, but before they realized Valak was among them and locked the place down, when Sister Charlotte visited the abbey. While she doesn't personally encounter Valak, she does have kind of a close call, since it seems to appear in the background of her photo. One by one, Valak picks off each of the remaining nuns until only two remain. They go into the dungeon area where the gateway is, To try to retrieve a relic that they believe will save them, but when Valak quickly strikes down the elder of the two, the lone survivor must give herself up so that the demonic presence does not have a vessel to escape in. Not long after, a delivery guy named Maurice (most people just call him Frenchy) discovers the remains, and word gets around to the Vatican that trouble is afoot in Romania. The nun investigated by the church. They send one of their best priests, Father Burke, and an inexperienced novitiate, or nun training, named Irene Palmer, to investigate. Valak watches them as they arrive, and somehow, the scene of the incident is still fresh. Valak continues to haunt the premises, but the ghosts of the nuns that inhabited it still linger. So when Sister Irene and Father Burke speak to the Reverend Mother, the highest ranking nun in the convent, I'm assuming that this is actually Valak posing as the Reverend Mother. Because the throne she's sitting on has an Ouroboros on it. She tells them that the nuns are about to take a vow of silence for the evening, but they can stay over and speak to them in the morning. This may be part of Valak's plan to try to eliminate Burke and possess Irene during the night. As Frenchie heads back to the town after escorting them, Valak uses a variety of scary forms to send him running, so that he's unlikely to want to come back for them. Including this thing. If we're doing spin-offs on every character that appears, we gotta do this guy. Burke is awoken by what appears to be a boy he performed a failed exorcism on years ago. When he catches up to him, a snake slithers out of the boy's mouth and comes for Burke. Knocking him back into an open casket which becomes instantly buried by Valak's magic. Next, Sister Irene is lured out of bed into the chapel, where she sees the demon's shadow circle around her until it gets to the mirror and appears in a corporeal form behind her. But only in the reflection, before it roars at her and shatters the mirror. Valek appeared to them each in different forms, because it represents that which they have yet to overcome. For Burke, he hasn't stopped feeling guilty about the child he was unable to save, so. Valak appears as that child to prey on his weakness. For Irene, it appears as the nun, because she hasn't made the commitment to take her vows yet. They are each confronted by a challenge they have yet to overcome. Irene hears the bell ringing in the graveyard, signifying that Burke had been buried alive and was using his lifeline. You should learn from his example, and when you do make sure you hit all notifications. The next morning, they come back to speak with the nuns, not realizing that there are none remaining. Like, no any nun. I assume that Valak is the one to open the gate for them, and probably also the one to close it that evening, locking Irene inside for another night. As Father Burke studies the map, Valak, this time posing as the abbess, tells him he won't find another way in. It's too late, Father. Sister Irene is lost. This also plays into Burke's fears, because he doesn't want Sister Irene to be the latest person he was unable to save. Valet grabs him using the same decrepit hands that attacked him when he was trapped in the coffin, and they break off and crumble on the floor. He also encounters a zombified version of the boy that's been haunting him, as demonic. Hands protrude from the walls. When he reaches him, He has Valak's signature yellow eyes and forked tongue, a trait commonly associated with the devil. Burke breaks free and runs for it, probably narrowly avoiding being possessed, and when he looks back, the ancient evil has reverted to its unnerving nun form. Meanwhile, Irene awakes from a nightmare and discovers a door that's labeled Finnet. Hick Deo, or God Ends Here. She too encounters Valak who creates a turbulent windstorm in the hallway and, you already know what's coming. She gets air yeeted across the hall, but she's rescued by the ghost of Sister Ona and joins the others in a little midnight emergency prayer sesh. This is probably a scene that took place at some point in the 1940s just after Valak had begun coming after the lives of these nuns and we're just seeing a slightly altered version of it that includes Sister Irene but since I don't know that one hundred percent, I'm keeping it here in the chronology. I'm also not really clear on if the prayers of the ghost nuns would actually help hold the seal at all, but we can at least say that them encouraging Sister Irene to pray would have some effect, because Sister Irene is real. It doesn't come without cost though, because Valak makes like that goth girl you dated in college and scratches a pentagram into her back. Burke and Frenchy team up against a reanimated version of Sister Victoria. Based on what we know from Ed and Lorraine's various lectures, this isn't a possession. Because the demon would need a soul in order to possess someone, and that would defeat the purpose of Sister Victoria's sacrifice. So what's probably going on here is that Valak is just moving around her body, the Same way that Malthus moves around the Annabelle doll. It was moved around to give the impression of possession. Anyway, they catch up with Sister Irene, who finally realizes the nuns she's been talking. To were only an apparition. There's no one left. We have our answer father. As if there was any doubt before, this place is no longer holy. Possessing Frenchie. Valak next encounters them in the dungeon area beyond the door with the Latin text translating. To God ends here. This area represents hell within the monastery, so it is fitting that this should be where. Their final battle with Valak takes place. They split up to search for the gate, because, you know, that's the best plan in a horror movie. Sister Irene enters one of the rooms, and Valak appears in the form of a what's? The word for a group of nuns? A horde? A flock? Okay, I looked it up, apparently it's called a superfluity. Which was definitely not the word I was looking for, but whatever. We'll just call it a crowd of nuns. Each of them has their faces covered, and they're able to overcome Irene and possess. Her. You failed. Just as you failed everyone in your life tomorrow a village will be missing its idiot. Irene's apparent possession does not last long, as Frenchie kicks down the door and encounters the possessed Irene, who air yeets him into a pillar. We've seen a lot of air yeeting in this franchise, and really just this era of horror. In general, but that one looks kind of painful. However, Sister Irene still has the Holy Grail hanging around her neck, and Frenchie is able to smear some of it onto Irene, which immediately exorcises the demon. We've seen characters use incantations, holy water, and crosses as part of the exorcism process, but this is by far the most effective and powerful method. Obviously, there's gonna be a very limited supply though, so from a balanced perspective, this doesn't break the game in favor of the good guys. Valak reverts back to nun form and grabs hold of Frenchie and after sending Irene flying. Out of the room, he becomes the next victim of Valak's possession. This is the only time we see Valak possess someone on screen, and it's different from any of the possessions we've seen in other Conjuring Universe movies. The other entities possess a person by basically puking this black stuff into their mouth. I don't really know how else to describe it, but with Valak, we see a snake slither out of its mouth and into Frenchies. There's also an image of this in one of the Duke's books. The reason I bring this up is it connects to the idea that I mentioned earlier that the Ouroboros is always associated with Valak as a sign of the cycle of demonic possessions. As the demon goes from person to person, all evidence points to these demons being able to essentially split to themselves too. Be able to do multiple things at once. So while Valek was incubating inside of Frenchie's body, the nun form could continue to terrorize Irene and Burke by rising out of the water that now covered the gateway and attempting to drown Irene. Burke tried to send the demonic entity back to hell, but was overcome by its power, so it's ultimately Irene who tricks Valek by pretending to offer the Holy Grail, perhaps the biggest bane that still threatened the creature, and instead spitting its contents. Onto the unholy being, causing it to be torn apart as the gateway to hell appears to close. The fact that she defeats it by spitting is significant, because there had long been a superstition in the nearby village that they should spit on the ground whenever the cursed Abbey is mentioned. Sister Irene's victory also makes sense. Valak was still attacking her in its nun form, probably not realizing that she had taken her vows shortly before. Irene was no longer afraid of this religious commitment, so the appearance of the nun would no longer intimidate her, but this wouldn't be the last time Valak would utilize this. Appearance The demon lies dormant inside of Frenchie's body and uses it as a vessel to break free. Out of the circle of crosses that surrounded the abbey. The evil was no longer contained to a singular location. It would continue to incubate within him as he eventually settled down and got married. At which point the symptoms of his possession made themselves noticeable. In 1970, help was called in. Frenchie is diagnosed by a pair of paranormal investigators named Ed and Lorraine Warren. Lorraine is most likely the sister, or at least a close relative of sister. Irene, given that Irene is from Bridgeport, Connecticut, the same place that Lorraine was born. They also both have clairvoyant visions, and that ability seems to be hereditary. Lorraine's daughter exhibits the trait as well. When Ed and Lorraine meet Frenchie, it's one of the worst possessions they've ever seen. He's speaking in fluent Latin, despite having a third-grade education and inverted crosses. Can be seen emanating from under his skin. The couple assisted on the exorcism, and since Lorraine was a medium, it took a huge toll. On her, so much that she locked herself away for eight days and never spoke about the experience. For many years. It's possible that Valak wanted revenge on the family after Irene burned it so badly. In Romania, and it wouldn't be done with them quite yet. We never find out if this exorcism was successful. But we do know that the results were grim. For Frenchie and his family. Lorraine's first vision of Valak In 1976, Lorraine has a vision containing Valak while investigating an unrelated case in Long Island, and the experience contributed to making it one of the most haunting cases of her career. Ed, this is as close to hell as I ever want to get. With Frenchie no longer around, Valak searched for a new target. There were probably other possessions that took place between Frenchie's demise in undocumented years. 1970 and the happenings in Enfield, England in 1977, but so far they've not been documented. In any movie. The best targets for a demon are those who are weak of faith, as we learn from Sister. Charlotte and Annabelle creation, and one thing that can cause a person's faith to weaken is distress in their family life? The timing isn't a coincidence, negative entities often feed off of emotional distress. The Enfield poltergeist, infestation. So Valak's next target is the Hodgson family, who recently lost their father when he ran away and had twins with a woman from down the street. They most likely opened themselves up to the poltergeist when the sisters Janet and Margaret Used a spirit board to ask a vulnerable question. Is dad ever coming home? As we know thanks to other Controverse entries, reaching out to the spirit world to try to get information or talk to a loved one can be dangerous, because doing so is essentially inviting an inhuman spirit into your life. The inhuman spirit may trick the victim, making him or her think they are talking to the spirit of a person when in fact, they're talking to a malevolent entity. So, asking if their dad is coming home told Valak that this family is already struggling. On an emotional level, and they would be the perfect targets. But after nearly being defeated by Irene, Valak wanted to operate in secrecy this time. So, instead of haunting the family directly, it took hold of the ghost of a man named Bill Wilkins, making it seem like Bill was the one terrorizing the family. During the middle of the night, Janet is transported downstairs in front of the chair that Bill Wilkins passed on. As taught by Ed Warren, the OG horror history teacher before emo Abraham Lincoln took over. There are three stages of demonic activity. Infestation, oppression, and possession. The Hodgsons began to experience the symptoms of infestation. Janet was terrorized in her dreams, and Valak forced her to sleepwalk, sleep-talk, and sleep-hawk. Wait, no. Not sleep-hawk. You can go back to sleep, sleep, sleep-hawk. But Valak would do other stuff, like manifest the image of Bill Wilkins to scare them, move around toys and objects to give the impression that these items are possessed, intimidate them with voices in the night, ah, and mess with the TV. Or, as they called it, Mortis Media, the telly. This is also another example of Valak using reflections to scare a victim, just like it did to Sister Irene in the chapel. The Enfield Poltergeist, Oppression. At this point, the activity escalates to Stage 2, Oppression. This involves shaking beds, slamming doors, bite marks, flying furniture, and other very clear cut paranormal mayhem. The family flees the house in the middle of the night and brings in outside help. Police officers, reporters, videographers, passers-by and others all experience the phenomenon. It is around this time that a strange occurrence goes down back in the U.S. that could suggest that we may see Valak again in a future Conjuring installment. While Valak was making the Hodgson family more miserable in the United Kingdom, Lorraine was growing more paranoid over in the United States. Ed had seen Valak in a dream, which caused him to create a painting of the creepy nun. And Lorraine would have a vision of her own. There's also a scene where Judy is frozen by the disturbing image of Valak, though it's not entirely clear if this is all part of Lorraine's vision, or if they were both able to see Valak. I have the sense that Judy does see Valak though, because the name appears multiple. Times in her artwork. Lorraine would also discover the demon's name in her own vision. What do you want? I want my MTV. The facades of Bill Wilkins and the Crooked Man. As the Enfield poltergeist gets more and more attention in the media, Valak would hide behind the ghost of the old man, Bill Wilkins. From my understanding of the events, it essentially used Bill as a shield, commandeering his voice and in some cases his appearance, and this also made it so that Valak's demonic energy would not be picked up on by a medium. Listen to the way that Janet would eventually describe the phenomenon. Does it feel like it's coming from inside you? No. It feels like it's coming from behind me. Like I'm being used. But Bill was not the only facade that the inhuman spirit would use to its advantage. The Hodgson's youngest son, Billy, has a zoetrope toy that tells the nursery rhyme of the crooked man. Billy used to sing along with it in order to work on improving his speech impediment. But he never quite overcame it. Valak tends to use the form of whatever its subject has not overcome, so when Billy is alone, Valak appears to him as the crooked man. What's not entirely explained is if the Crooked Man once existed as a separate entity. Like Bill Wilkins, or if it was just Valak taking the form it saw on the toy. I'm guessing the Crooked Man is a separate entity, though, based on this line from Ed. The old man, the Crooked Man, they're just facades, trying to keep us from seeing the real evil in that house. I don't think Valak would risk exposing itself when it had kept its own involvement a secret for so long. The demon would not want the church finding out and sending people in to destroy it. You'll notice that it never uses the nun form until Lorraine shows up. The in-universe explanation is that Valak used the nun to attack Lorraine's faith, which was shaken by this encounter that scared her so much all those years ago. Director James Wan explained the decision further in an Instagram post. During editing, I deemed this beautifully designed-slash-sculpted Horned Demon 2 out of left field for the film. It needed to be more grounded and personal, something that would take Lorraine's faith and try to test-slash-corrupt it. I remember the real-life Lorraine Warren talking about her love and reverence for her nun friends. And a light bulb went off, thus, the demon nun was born. So we went back and replaced all the Horned Demon scenes, With the nun during additional photography. Many of the Hodgson's neighbors donated crosses that were hung up all around Janet and Margaret's room, in hopes this could weaken the evil and prevent objects from moving around, but unlike the circle of crosses at the Abbey in Romania, this is not enough to contain Valak. The case would eventually gain enough notoriety that the church decides to send Ed and Lorraine across the sea to see what's up. When they arrive, Valak remembers them, and hopes to get Bill to scare them away. It said it wants to hurt you. When did it say that? Right now. On December 21, 1977, they perform a test to see if the spirit haunting the house was speaking through Janet, or if she was just making the noises on her own. They're unable to determine that it was all Janet, but Lorraine is still skeptical because she doesn't sense any presence in the house. That night, Janet is transported in her sleep to the first floor ceiling where she sees old man Bill sitting on his chair. He gets up and goes upstairs, then she's pulled upwards into her room, the room where most of the paranormal instances had taken place. Valak's presence causes all of the crosses in the room to invert, and Janet encounters old man Bill who has the yellow glowing eyes of the demon. Ed and Lorraine get into the room in time to rescue Janet from being suffocated at the foot of the window curtain. A day later, on the 22nd, Ed helps fix a floor in the basement of the house, where Valak rises again. It first looks as if it's going to attack Ed, and I surmise this is in order to lure Mrs. Hodgson into the flooded area where it can then attack and bite her in the arm. This attack strategy isn't random. Valek wants to freak out the family and isolate them by making it look like they're just making the whole thing up. When Ed finds the retainer with teeth, or as they called them in the UK, teeth, that line up with the bite mark on Peggy's arm, he's going to question if it was placed there by a supernatural entity, or if it was planted there by Peggy herself to sell the Story. That is the reason Valak has everyone turn away while Janet is making the demonic voices. And the reason that the only convincing proof of a demonic infestation happens while nobody from outside the household is present. This leads into the next part of Valak's plan. The house is readied up with video recording equipment, hoping to catch some of the supernatural. Happening's on tape. But Valak plays it smart. It knows that it's managed to trick Lorraine up to this point by hiding behind the ghost of Bill Wilkins undetected, but if proof of the poltergeist is captured, Ed and Lorraine will take it back to the church, they'll send in a bunch of their people, just as they did at the Abbey of Stay? Carta. So instead, the demon devises a plan to put a stop to the investigation. It tells Janet she has to fake a paranormal incident in front of the cameras, threatening to kill her family if she doesn't comply. So she does just that, sticking knives into the table, throwing and destroying furniture. And smashing all the dishes in the kitchen. The audio guy picks up a strange sound, which they trace to Janet, who mangled in an electrical closet, where she speaks Bill's voice, saying more nonsensical phrases. The whole incident was recorded by a paranormal skeptic, the psychologist named Anita Gregory, who was happy to have found proof that the Hodgsons were faking the haunting. Once the tape gets out, the public gains the impression that everything was a hoax, and all the investigators and reporters clear out, once again giving the family, and more. Importantly, Valak, their privacy back. Luckily for the Hodgsons, Ed figures out that Bill Wilkins was trying to covertly send a message by overlapping the two audio recordings. Help me, it won't let me go. Upon hearing this, Lorraine has another vision, where she speaks to the real Bill Wilkins. And gains an understanding of the true nature of Valak's presence for the first time. Lorraine has another vision, or perhaps this one is more of an astral projection of her in. The Green Street House, where she speaks to the real Bill Wilkins, uncorrupted by the evil manipulation of Valak, for the first time. He tells her that he came here to see his family, but he can't go because it wants her so badly. Breaking this down, Bill is saying he entered the world of the spirits instead of moving on to heaven, because he thought he would be able to see his deceased family members. But he discovered they were not there and wanted to go on, but Valak would not let go. Of him, because Valak wanted to use him as a piece of its plan to possess Janet's soul. When Lorraine asks how to stop it, Bill leaves her with a riddle. I am given and I am taken. I was there at your first breath, but you didn't ask for me. But I will follow you till your death. Before she can figure it out, Valak appears and essentially breaks up the mental connection. And this is the first time Lorraine has been able to sense the inhuman spirit that her family member had gone up against decades before. The answer to Bill's riddle is, a name. A name is given at birth, a name taken by people throughout your life to identify you. You don't ask for a name, but it follows you to your death. The one part of the riddle that would have been misleading for me is the line, I was there at your first breath. Because that's not always the case, I think a lot of couples name their baby after it. Is born. Maybe Bill should have said, I was there at your first birthday party or something. So Lorraine's realization that she needs a name to have dominion over Valak. Goes back to the Genesis passage that I mentioned earlier. It is man's ability to name something that gives man power over that thing. The Enfield poltergeist, possession. Anyway, as Ed and Lorraine rush back to the house, Valak is now on a full-on reign of terror. Stage 2 of demonic activity is oppression, and judging how this stage is getting worse. And worse for the family, I can only assume that Valak is getting very close to stage. 3. Possession It seems like it was even already starting to possess Janet for short periods of time. If that's a possibility. When the Warrens arrive, Peggy is locked out of the house in a full state of panic. Ed tries to break in through the front window, the demon hurls the couch across the room. To block his entry. So he goes around back to go through the laundry room and break in from under the floorboards. But once inside, Valak locks the door, effectively separating him from Lorraine. The entity messes with the pipes and scalds Ed's face with piping hot water, partially. Blinding him, but he's able to hobble his way to the upstairs bedroom where Janet is. About to walk out of the open window and impale herself on the spiky tree stump that waits. Below. I'm not entirely sure why Valak would do this, since we've kind of established that. When someone dies, a demon can no longer possess them. And it's pretty clear that Valak's main goal is to possess her. But as I have in the other videos, I'll attempt to justify why Valak might have behaved. Like this. In Annabelle, we saw in the book, The Devil's Welcome, that Valak and Malthus are just two of the many demons detailed that all answer to Belial, who is basically the leader of all demons. We can even see Valak's symbol, the Ouroboros, appear way back in that movie. We've also seen in both Annabelle and the nun that summoning these demons from hell usually involves making a human sacrifice, along with some kind of spell. Maybe this was all part of Valak's plan to summon another demonic presence, possibly. Belial. Ed catches her before this can happen, but this leaves him at risk to fall out of the. Lorraine sends Condemns Valak back to Hell. Window himself. Lorraine comes in and finds Valak standing in the corner as Ed tries to reel in Janet. She runs to save Ed, but Valak's scream easily sends her flying backwards into the wall, however, she uses the demon's name to gain dominion over it. You are Valak. The Defiler. The Profane. The Marquis of Snakes. Upon saying this, Valak appears to crumble, and when Lorraine condemns it back to Hell, it breaks down even further, revealing its true form to her for the first and only time before shrinking down into a void and disappearing. This would be the last confirmed interaction that the Warrens have with Valak, however. That may not mean the character is gone for good. As I mentioned, Valak takes on more than one persona during the 1977 Enfield poltergeist. The future of Valak. Saga, one of these facades was the manifestation of a nursery rhyme called the Crooked Man. After many of the Warrens' cases, they bring home a trinket and put it in their room of cursed objects. Ed describes these objects as being bearers of evil spirits, almost like keeping a genie in a bottle. For the Enfield case, they bring home Johnny's Crooked Man Zoetrope. If Valak went back to hell, then then I'm guessing the Crooked Man is the one trapped inside this toy. That seems to leave things open for another evildoer to stumble upon the evocation books left behind by the Duke of the Stay. carta, and summon Valak to once again cross the threshold and terrorize our world. Regardless of what the future holds, I'll be sure to cover it here. If you want to explore the complete histories of the other entities found in The Conjuring. Universe go ahead and check out that playlist on the left and remember to subscribe to CZS World. For new horrors every week, ring the death bell for all notifications and I'll see you in the next one. Assuming we both survive. Before we go, I want to express my gratitude to each and every one of you for tuning in and being a part of our podcast community. Your support means the world to us. If you want to support this channel even more and help us create more amazing content, you have the option to contribute by sending a donation. Every contribution goes a long way in helping us improve and bring you even more captivating episodes. Remember, your support is what keeps us going and allows us to continue exploring fascinating topics, interviewing intriguing guests and delivering valuable insights. So, if you're interested in supporting us, you can find the donation link in the description below. Even the smallest contribution can make a big difference. Once again, thank you for being a part of our podcast journey. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and turn on the notification bell, so you never miss an episode. Thank you for watching, and until next time, stay curious, stay engaged, and keep exploring the world beyond the code.